0: Chapter Nine Of Among the Night People by Clara Dillingham Pearson This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Jude Summers Chapter Nine The Lonely Old Bachelor Muskrat Beyond the forest and beside the river lay the marsh where the muskrats lived. This was the same marsh to which the young frog had taken some of the meadow people's children when they were tired of staying at home and wanted to travel. When they went with him, you remember, they were gay and happy, the sun was shining, and the way did not seem long. When they came back, they were cold and wet and tired, and thought it very far indeed. One could never get them to say much about it. Some people like what others do not, and one's opinion of a marsh must always depend on whether he is a grasshopper or a frog. But whether people cared to live there or not The marsh has always been a pleasant place to see. In the spring the tall tarmacs along the edge put on their dresses of soft, needle-shaped green leaves, the marsh marigolds hold their bright faces up to the sun, and hundreds of happy little people dart in and out of the tussocks of coarse grass. There was a warm, wet, earthy smell in the air, and near the pussy willows there was also a faint bitterness. Then the marsh hens made their nests and the sandpipers ran mincingly along by the quiet pools. In summertime, the beautiful moccasin flowers grew in family groups, and over in the higher, drier part were masses of the white boneset, tall spikes of creamy foxglove, and slender purple for In the fall, the cattails stood stiffly among their yellow leaves, and the red-winged blackbirds and the bobolinks perched upon them to plan their journey to the south even when the birds were gone and the cattails were ragged and worn even then the marsh was an interesting place soft snow clung to the brown seed clusters of boneset and filled the open silvery gray pods of the milkweed in among the brown tussocks of grass ran the dainty footprints of mice and minks, and here and there rose the cone-shaped winter homes of the muskrats. The muskrats were the largest people there, and lived in the finest homes. It is true that if a mink and a muskrat fought, the mink was likely to get the better of the muskrat. But people never spoke of this, although everybody knew that it was so. The muskrats were too proud to do so, the minks were too wise to, and the smaller people who lived near did not want to offend the muskrats by mentioning it. It is said that an impudent young mouse did say something about it once when the muskrats could overhear him, and that not one of them ever spoke to him again. The next time he said, "'Good evening,' to a muskrat, the muskrat just looked at him as though he didn't see him, or as though he had seen a stick or a stone, or something else uneatable and uninteresting. The muskrats were very popular, for they were kind neighbors and never stole their food from others that was why nobody was jealous of them although they were so fat and happy their children usually turned out very well even if they were not at all strictly brought up you know when a father and mother have to feed and care for fifteen or so children each summer there is not much time for teaching them to say please and thank you and pardon me sometimes these young muskrats did snatch and quarrel "'as on that night when fifteen of them went to visit their old home "'and all wanted to go in first. "'You may recall how, on that dreadful night, "'their father had to spank them with his scaly tail, "'and their mother sent them to bed. "'They always remembered it, "'and you may be very sure their parents did. "'It makes parents feel dreadfully when their children quarrel, "'and it is very wearing to have to spank fifteen at once.' particularly when one has to use his tail with which to do it. There was one old bachelor muskrat who had always lived for himself, and had his own way more than was good for him. If he had married, it would not have been so, and he would have grown used to giving up to somebody else. He was a fine-looking fellow, with soft, short, reddish-brown fur, which shaded almost to black on his back, and to a light grey underneath there were very few hairs on his long flat scaly tail and most of these were in two fringes one down the middle of the upper side and the other down the middle of the lower side his tiny ears hardly showed above the fur on his head and he was so fat that he really seemed to have no neck at all to look at his feet you would hardly think he could swim for the webs between his toes were very very small and his feet were not large he was like all other muskrats in using a great deal of perfume, and it was not a pleasant kind, being so strong and musky. He thought it quite right, and it was better so, for he couldn't help wearing it. And you can just imagine how distressing it would be to see a muskrat going around with his nose turned up and all the time finding fault with his own perfume. Nobody could remember the time when there had been no muskrats in the marsh, the groundhog who lived near the edge of the forest said that his grandfather had often spoken of seeing them at play in the moonlight and there was an old rattlesnake who had been married several times and wore fourteen joints in his rattle who said that he remembered seeing muskrats there before he cast his first skin and it was not strange that after their people had lived there so long the muskrats should be fond of the marsh one day in midsummer The farmer and his men came to the marsh with spades and grub-hoes and measuring lines. All of them had on high rubber boots, and they tramped around and measured and talked and rooted up a few huckleberry bushes and drove a good many stakes into the soft and spongy ground. Then the dinner bell at the farmhouse rang, and they went away. It was a dull, cloudy day, and a few of the muskrats were out. If it had been sunshiny they would have stayed in their burrows. They paddled over to where the stakes were, and smelled them, and gnawed at them, and wondered why the men had put them there. "'I know,' said one young muskrat, who had married and set up a home of his own that spring. "'I know why they put these stakes in.' "'Oh, do listen,' cried the young muskrat's wife. "'He knows and will tell us all about it.' "'Nobody ever told me this,' said the young husband. "'I thought it out myself.' the ground hog once said that they put small pieces of potato in the ground to grow into whole big ones and they have done the same sort of thing here you see the farmer wanted a fence so he stuck down these stakes and before winter he will have a fence well grown <laughs> said the bachelor muskrat it seemed as though he had meant to say more but the young wife looked at him with such a frown on her furry forehead that he shut his mouth as tightly as he could he could never quite close it, and said nothing else. Do you mean to tell me, said one who had just sent five children out of her burrow to make room for another lot of babies, that they will grow a fence here when it is so wet? Fences grow on high land. That is what I said, answered the young husband, slapping his tail on the water to make himself seem more important. Well, said the anxious mother, If they go to growing fences and such things around here, I shall move. Every one of my children will want to play around it, and like as not will eat its roots and get sick. Then the men came back, and all the muskrats ran toward their burrows, dived into the water to reach the doors of them, and then crawled up the long hallways that they had dug out of the bank until they got to the large rooms where they spent most of their days and kept their babies. That night the young husband was the first muskrat to come out and he went at once to the line of stakes he had been lying awake and thinking while his wife was asleep and he was afraid he had talked too much he found that the stakes had not grown any and that the men had begun to dig a deep ditch beside them he was afraid that his neighbors would point their paws at him and ask how the fence was growing and he was not brave enough to meet them and say that he had been mistaken he went down the river bank and fed alone all night "'while his wife and neighbors were grubbing and splashing around in the marsh "'or swimming in the river near their homes. "'The young muskrats were rolling and tumbling in the moonlight "'and looking like furry brown balls. "'After it began to grow light, he sneaked back to his burrow. "'Every day the men came in their high rubber boots to work, "'and every day there were more ditches and the marsh was drier. "'By the time that the flowers had all ripened their seeds "'and the forest trees were bare, The marsh was changed to dry ground, and the muskrats could find no water there to splash in. One night, and it was a very, very dark one, they came together to talk about winter. It is time to begin our cold-weather houses, said one old muskrat. I have never started so soon, but we are to have an early winter. Yes, and a long one, too, added his wife, who said that Mr. Muskrat never told things quite strongly enough. "'It will be cold,' said another muskrat, "'and we shall need to build thick walls.' "'Why?' asked the little muskrat. "'Shh!' said his mother. "'The question is,' said the old muskrat, "'who had spoken first, "'where we shall build.' "'Why?' asked the little muskrat, "'pulling at his mother's tail. "'Shh!' said his mother. "'There is no water here except in the ditches,' "'said the oldest muskrat. "'And, of course, we would not build beside them.' "'Why not?' asked the little muskrat, and this time he actually poked his mother in the side. "'Shh!' said she. "'How many times must I speak to you? "'Don't you know that young muskrats should be seen and not heard?' "'But I can't be seen,' he whimpered. "'It is so dark that I can't be seen, and you've just got to hear me.' Of course, after he had spoken in that way to his mother, and interrupted all the others by his naughtiness, he had to be punished so his mother sent him to bed. That is very hard for young muskrats, for the night, you know, is the time when they have the most fun. The older ones talked and talked about what they should do. They knew, as they always do know, just what sort of winter they were to have, and that they must begin to build at once. Some years they had decided until a whole month later, but that was because they expected a late and mild winter at last the oldest muskrat decided for them we will move to-morrow night said he we will go to the swamp on the other side of the forest and build our winter homes there all the muskrats felt sad about going and for a minute it was so still that you might almost have heard a milkweed seed break loose from the pod and float away then a gruff voice broke the silence i will not go it said "'I was born here, and I will live here. "'I never have left this marsh, and I never will leave it.' "'They could not see who was speaking, but they knew it was the bachelor. "'The oldest muskrat said afterward that he was so surprised "'you could have knocked him over with a blade of grass. "'Of course, you couldn't have done that, because he was so fat and heavy. "'But that is what he said, and it shows just how he felt. "'The other muskrats talked and talked and talked with him, but it made no difference. His brothers told him it was perfectly absurd for him to stay, and that people would think it queer, and that he ought to go with the rest of his relatives. Yet it made no difference. "'You should stay,' he would reply. "'Our family has always lived here.' When the muskrat mothers told him how lonely he would be, and how he would miss seeing the dear little ones frolic in the moonlight, he blinked and said, "'Well,' I shall just have to stand it then he sighed and they went away saying to each other what a tender heart he had and what a pity it was that he had never married one of them spoke as though he had been in love with her some years before but the others had known nothing about it the muskrat fathers told him he would have no one to help him if a mink should pick a quarrel with him i can take care of myself then said he "'and showed his strong gnawing teeth in a very fierce way. "'It was only when the dainty young muskrat daughters talked to him "'that he began to wonder if he really ought to stay. "'He lay awake most of one day, thinking about it "'and remembering the sad look in their little eyes "'when they said that they should miss him. "'He was so disturbed that he ate only three small roots "'during the next night. "'The poor old bachelor had a hard time then, but he was so used to having his own way and doing what he had started to do and not giving up to anybody that he stayed after all the others went away and he began to build his winter house beside the biggest ditch he placed it among some bushes so that if the water in the ditch should overflow they would help hold his house in place he built it with his mouth bringing great mouthfuls of grass roots and rushes and dropping them on the middle of the heap Sometimes they stayed there, and sometimes they rolled down. If they rolled down, he never brought them back, for he knew that they would be useful where they were. When it was done, the house was shaped like a pine cone, with the stem end down. For after he made it as high as a tall milkweed, he finished off the long slope up which he had been running, and made it look like the other sides. After that, he began to burrow into it from below. The right way to do, he knew, was to have his doorway under water and dive down to it. Other winters he had done this and had given the water a loud slap with his tail as he dived. Now there was not enough water to dive into, and when he tried slapping on it, his tail went through to the ditch bottom and got muddy. He had to fix the doorway as best he could, and then he ate out enough of the inside of his house to make a good room "'and poked a small hole through the roof to let in fresh air. "'After the house was done, he slept there during the days "'and prowled around outside at night. "'He slept there, but ate none of the roots of which it was made "'until the water in the ditch was frozen hard. "'He knew that there would be a long, long time "'when he could not dig fresh roots and must live on those. "'At night the marsh seemed so empty and lonely "'that he hardly knew what to do.' He didn't enjoy his meals, and often complained to the mice that the roots did not taste so good to him as those they used to have when he was young. He tried eating other things, and found them no better. When there was bright moonlight, he sat upon the highest tussock he could find, and thought about his grandfathers and grandmothers. If they had not eaten their houses, he once said to a mouse, this marsh would be full of them. No, it wouldn't answered the mouse, who didn't really mean to contradict him, but thought him much mistaken. If the houses hadn't been eaten, they would have been blown down by the wind, and beaten down by rains, and washed away by floods. It is better so. Who wants things to stay the way they are forever and ever? I'd rather see the trees drop their leaves once in a while, and grow new ones, than to wear the same old ones after they are ragged and faded. The bachelor muskrat didn't like this very well, but he couldn't forget it. When he awakened in the daytime, he would think about it, and at night he thought more. He was really very forlorn, and because he had nobody else to think about, he thought too much of himself and began to believe that he was lame and sick. When he sat on a tussock and remembered all the houses which his grandparents had built and eaten, he became very sad and sighed until his fat sides shook. He wished that he could sleep through the winter like the groundhog, or through part of it like the skunk. But just as sure as night came, his eyes popped open, and there he was, awake. When spring came, he thought of his friends who had gone to the swamp, and he knew that last year's children were marrying and digging burrows of their own. The poor old bachelor wanted to go to them, yet he was so used to doing what he had said he would and disliked so much to let anybody know that he was mistaken that he chose to stay where he was without water enough for diving and with hardly enough for swimming how it would have ended nobody knows had the farmer not come to plough up the old drained marsh for planting celery then the bachelor went he reached his new home in the early morning and the mothers let their children stay up until it was quite light so that he might see them plainly "'Isn't it pleasant here?' they cried. "'Don't you like it better than the old place?' "'Oh, it does very well,' he answered. "'But you must remember that I only moved because I had to.' "'Oh, yes, we understand that,' said one of the mothers. "'But we hope you will really like it here.' "'Afterward her husband said to her, "'Don't you know he was glad to come? "'What's the use of being so polite?' "'Poor old fellow,' she answered. He is so queer because he lives alone, and I'm sorry for him. Just see him eat. And truly it was worth while to watch him, for the roots tasted sweet to him, and although he had not meant to be, he was very happy, far happier than if he had had his own way. End of chapter 9